0: Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here back in the great Cumbrian outdoors today with author, illustrator and our guide for today's walk, Mark Richards. Hello Mark. Oh hello David.
1: It's been so long, we've been longing to get out and we're in the gorgeous Dash Valley, ready to dash into the hills.
0: Yeah, and spring has sprung, hasn't it, Mark? Daffodils out on the way here. First daffodils I've seen actually outside of my valley, and lambs down the bottom. Do you see the lambs? I did. Yeah, but the grass isn't
1: riz. I notice <laughs> it's thinking about spring. It's just uh, the few lambs
0: are a little early, and a fine view from here, Mark. So just to identify where we are, we've actually come up the track that leads towards Dashfalls, haven't we? Beneath Bakestall. And we have this wonderful panorama up towards Trosmador. Give us a little panorama. Well, yeah, you've got a
1: great cock-up with a heather on the bank. And you've got brockle crag, yeah. made distinctive by its corpse bands, which why it's called brockle crag. It looks like the head of a badger. And you look at Todd you and just see Meal fell and Great Squaw fell. And the great sweeping hillside that basically is all part of Great Carver, strictly. And you've got the dashing falls of whitewater dash and uh, the end cliff of dead crags. And we've
0: been lucky with the weather today. We had full-on Cumbrian rain and winds last week, didn't we? But it's all calmed down now over the weekend. We've got blue sky, we've got little flashes of light dancing across the fells. And a lovely welcome back after we've been indoor on Zoom for so long. And we've got a a really special podcast lined up today, Mark. What are we doing?
1: Well, we've gone back to our original plan for our next trip, which was going to be early January, and we were going to head up to Skidder House, the loneliest house in England. And for all that uh, it seems lonely, it is the most convivial place in the world. And I think we're going to discover it with uh, our particular guest today, who have a a very close identity with Skidder House.
0: Skidder House, this iconic house, uh, known, as you say, as the loneliest house in England. Cumbrian Way Walkers come across it, but anybody who's explored that great area of wild country behind Skidder and Blencathra will have seen this little house, isolated in the middle of the moorland, a few straggly old larches around it, Always captures the imagination, doesn't it, Mark? Oh,
1: gosh, yeah. You feel you're in God's own country here. This is where the freedom of the outdoors is personified and given an identity by a dwelling.
0: And so, who are our guests today,
1: Mark? Well, we've got Martin Webster and Marie-Pierre Gaudet.
0: Martin's interesting, isn't he, because he's had two separate stints as the warden at Skidor House. Yep, this is it,
1: Martin first, but the pair of them together have participated in running that hostel for quite a period of time.
0: And they, in fact, on the second of Martin's stints, when he was there with Marie, they actually lived there together for four years. So they have a claim, really, to have spent more time up there than any living human being at the moment, I think.
1: Absolutely. Nobody will have been in that lonely place for anywhere near as length like the time that they have, so it's very
0: close to their hearts. Today we'll get a little bit of a flavour for the history of the area, for Skidder House itself, but also what it's like to spend lonely winters up there and welcome people into this very special place. Well, I'm very much looking forward to today's wander, Mark, along the old track that I think originally went across to Threlkeld and I'm very much looking forward also to meeting our two guests. Let's go and make our first strides into the of Skidder.
1: Well, we got up to the lock, padlock gate by Dead Beck, with uh, Dead Crag's dead behind us. We're looking, actually, uh, we're looking west towards Binsey, and I'm in the company of Marie and Martin Webster. A very special occasion because uh, I've never actually met you, which is lovely, uh, but lots of people have, and uh, you've got a great connection with this. I'll ask Martin first. You've been into hostelling and so forth for a very long time. When did you get into that process?
2: In my uh, early twenties, mm-hmm. I would say. A uh, love of Derbyshire and living in Sheffield, uh, started youth hostelling. Lots and of youth hostels in Derbyshire. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so that's our first, that's our first starting off. But right. not long after that, one of my brothers uh, well, both of them, actually, but they have got the love of walking themselves, and so I introduced them mm-hmm. to youth in But we soon progressed, let's say, mm-hmm. from Derbyshire up to the Lake District. Uh, and for me, for me personally, there wasn't much Derbyshire walking done after that. Mm-hmm. I was always up here. <laughs> it's got a magnetism, hasn't it? Now, we've got Marie here. Well, I took this waif in...
1: <laughs>
2: at uh, desperately looking for a bed and somewhere to stay the night at Epping Forest Youth Hostel. Right. So that's how we first met.
3: But, uh, how come you were at Epping then, Marie? I was um, living in France till then and because I'd studied English at university and didn't get to use English in my work I would come for a holiday in, uh, in England just about every year and like to stay in youth hostels. And that I ended up at Epping Forest because I wanted a couple of days in London and off back to France the next day or something. But, of course... And uh, I thought the warden was uh, was a bit of a quaint fellow. Oh, yes. Uh, The first year I stayed, there was nothing much said. I mean, we did have a chat and everything, but then I went home. And uh, the summer after, I decided to come back. But things started developing.
1: But he was still there. He and was think, still there, yes. Oh, he had a certain
3: charm as well as
1: unusual <laughs> characteristics. Yes. My goodness way. There is another way of describing the YHA, as it were.
3: Yes, the YHA officially stands for the Youth Hostel Association. But uh, a lot of people like us say it actually stands for your husband assured. (laughs) Because lots of people meet in Youth Hostel because it's such a nice atmosphere in the common room and people get talking and etc.
1: So, for a man looking for a fair maid, it's the place to be.
2: I must correct you there. Oh,
1: yeah.
2: I, I wasn't particularly looking. I was hunted down.:
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> epic forest. It was a hunting forest, wasn't it? And of course you ended up in a forest. Yes. <laughs> We've moved from one forest to another going a forest. So you're going to take us now to somewhere that's very special to you, Martin.
2: Uh, very. Uh, and funnily enough, we were just talking previously in the car, Marie and I, that this actually, I've not been here for approximately two years. Since my association in any uh, form with Skidder House started, that's actually the longest absence I've had from the place since about 1989,
1: 1990. Which is an amazing, not just commitment, but a sense of connection.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, uh, Even every winter, when I was down in Essex, I still came up at least once a year what was your first Lakeland memory, Martin? Funnily enough, I have to go back many years. This relates, and Marie knows this, to the time when I was married and wed. And uh, in those days, you didn't go to uh, Toro Malinas or Magaluf or Mexico or Texas for, for a honeymoon. From a council estate in Sheffield, you didn't, you didn't do those types of things. And so we settled for a five-day coach trip to Scotland... On the way back, having enjoyed Scotland, and we finished up going down that road, I can't remember whether we were on the dual carriageway side or this other side of the lake, Bassenthwaite Lake, Bassentway. but I can remember looking up and seeing this beautiful orange and brown coloured big bulk massif. The sight was so lovely. I don't know why, but I've always been drawn to high places and mountains as a kid. And when I saw this majestic big bulk of a mountain, it turned out to be Skidder. In the afternoon, evening sunshine, it was so glowing and gold. I'll never forget that.
1: Well, that's a fascinating introduction to you guys. We'll make a stride beyond this uh, dead beck and through the gate and head up the track towards Dash Falls, which is an exciting little approach to... The great bowl and amphitheatre with it. We're in Skidderhouse, Leeds, and the sun's come out now. That's brilliant. That's a good spot to stop and uh, look about because you get a great view of White Walter Dash from here. It's a great name, isn't it, Whitewater Dash. And you can see now the beck below is a small stream, but actual waterfall itself is a chaos of whiteness, isn't it, Martin? Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's the breeze coming up the valley, and we're underneath dead crags. It's a curious name. We're going back in time a bit to start this story going. We're heading to Skidder House, and when did you think it was first built, Martin.
2: All investigations done by anybody of this era seem to have tracked it down to roughly 1830. The old census from them lists a a couple of people resident at Skiddo House then, but I'm convinced that there's been a building there maybe 100 or 200 years before that.
1: But it was Earl Egremont who sort of uh, took it on, and uh, he had... Cockermouth Castle, uh, and he came from Petworth, the family, which is down in Sussex. He saw the opportunity here for something a little bit different, recreationally, as it were.
2: The current Skiddow House, perhaps as early as 1820 or something, Mm -hmm. was built by the Lord of the Manor for his son. right, To give this second son... Uh, something that he liked because no, nothing to do with uh, wars and military anymore yeah. uh, and so it was set up as a hunting lodge mm-hmm. whatever they were hunting deer and grouse so that's what its start of life was and then the sheep came some time later with the shepherds moving in and Pearson Dalton and others but
1: and you've got it. such a wonderful diversity of habitat here as well
2: Oh, there's all sorts of kinds of things. Um, I never expected to see a red squirrel at Skido house, but, but one year we had one. A beautiful thing, r- running along my gutters and sitting on my kitchen windowsill. And I tried putting a few nuts and things out, but, but I never saw it again after a couple of days. Lovely stoves, cherry red brown with a black tip on the tail in summer and then absolutely gorgeous, all white in winter. I've seen those running through the walls. In fact, I've gone out for a sandwich in the afternoon and sat in the trees at the back, and I've had these little, with a new family, with all the little kits squeaking and squealing. They're living in amongst the rocks and the stumps somewhere at the back of Skidder House. So that's that's another wonderful thing to see. In the first couple of years when I first came here, very early 90s, Uh, On two or three occasions there was an eagle, a golden eagle, red kite I've spotted up there. I have sat there in the heather on a walk in the afternoon uh, on more than one occasion and as I've been sitting and lying in the heather and just relaxing, enjoying the sunshine, having a sandwich, whatever, I have seen the little lizards. Uh, and tried to catch them <laughs> and did grab hold of one of them right. Not trying, obviously not trying to wish oh. it any harm yeah. but just inquisitiveness, curiosity and as I grabbed its tail it carried on running <laughs> and it's, the end of its tail was in my hand that's what lizards do, eh? Yeah. I'll tell you a fantastic story that you'll not know whether to believe or not it's absolutely true, I saw it with my own eyes. Exactly. One day on the first spell at Skidder House, I was sitting alone in the afternoon. It wasn't so popular then. I had a lot of quiet, empty days, just me. Mm. And uh, I was just yeah. having a cup of tea or something, looking out the front window down the valley, and I saw this big white bird fly. At first I thought, this must be this thing that they've got on Bassenthwaite Lake. Osprey. Uh, osprey. Yeah. And then I thought, no, nah, no chance. It's got long back legs. And a big beak at the front. So I thought, in my non-expert bird way, I thought, well, it's got to have been a stork. <laughs> a week or two later, I came down to the farm to pick up my post. And then uh, I just happened to say to Colin, I said, did you see a strange white bird? Oh, he says there was a bit of a commotion on. In Keswick a couple of weeks ago, all the birdwatches were coming from all, over, birdwatchers come from all over the country, don't they? Quick time, yeah. there was an African spoonbill <laughs> spotted at Bassenthwaite Lake. Wow. I says, well, that African spoonbill flew past my front window. I know it, was it?
1: Well, let's, let's walk on a little further there, Martin and Marie. We're under the amphitheatre created by the great cliffs of dead crags. And the, the track now starts to rise, loose track begins to rise and curve up to the top of the falls. So we get up that way a bit further now. We're still clambering up. We're gaining quite a lot of height here. But uh, Martin, just in passing there, you mentioned this slope, this heather bank, uh, rising up, which ultimately climbs up on a birkied edge, uh, is unusual for one particular bird.
2: Yes, that's the ring ousel or mm-hmm. Uh Every year they breed there. Yes. The farmer there, Richard, Dash Farm, uh, he'd help come and observe them every year. Right. I know everybody's quite far apart, but the people at like,
1: Mercombe and Dash... They, because they farm generally in the area, they come by. Do you learn a great deal from
2: them? Years ago, I would say I had lots to do. A couple are still there at Mercombe Farm mm-hmm. uh, and a couple at Peterhouse Farm. Ah, yes. Each winter time, or in quiet periods when I had no customers for a week or two, I'd sneak down the fell and I became a member of the darts team. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> in a pub at Olddale,
3: uh-huh.
2: Iyerby, uh, they used to call it Paddy's Bar in Iabe then. I think they call it the Lion or something now. And of course, darts teams play home and away. Well, I got used to going round all the little villages and hamlets that I got a pub. And as true as I stand here, I could tell, after some years, I knew almost which village they were from. Like the Bassenthwaite yep. accent, different to all the I
1: remember Jane Reebanks was saying that uh, you get to Bassenthwaite and tip became a tub.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Something yeah. as simple yeah. as that. Yeah. When you yeah. get to CA15, which is Maryport catchment, more becomes mayor. More, as in more than this. Oh, bigger. More polite. So I don't know if it's catching from German because in German, more is mayor. M E H R. Right.
2: A table here in Deerham is a tjabbo.
3: <laughs> no bava in CA15 is we bava.
1: There we are. Listen, we we've got uh, a, a linguistic pair here who offer a realm of different terminology for all common garden items. Marvellous. Martin. this is quite an adventurous track we're going up here. Uh, have there been any vehicles that have sort of come asunder going up it?
2: Uh, Well, I do know of a couple of instances in the past where vehicles have gone over from the top of Dash Falls. Actually, left at the bend or just before, Yes. both in wintery and icy conditions, might I add, people shouldn't have been there because there's no vehicular right of way.
1: So that was before the gate was padlocked?
2: Yes. One of them happened to be a Japanese type four-wheel drive jeep and uh, another one was a British Land Rover heavy old-fashioned
1: How far thing. apart were they in times
2: uh, this was like a week or less No! The same winter but the first one went over a male and a female in it mm-hmm. and they both managed to jump at the last second now the second one that must have been must have been in the same position Or same place. I highly suspect it was when they stopped to go through that gate at the top of the falls. They might have just got through and stopped to get and close the gate, and then it set off sliding on the ice, which I know can happen because of our experiences up there. Uh, And promptly, that went and scuttled off. Yes straight down to the bottom of the waterfall and it landed exactly on the top of the first vehicle that did not found a way how to remove it yet because it had not been there long enough. So the second one went out, whoever it was driving managed to just get out straight away but that went, went over and it landed exactly on top of the Japanese vehicle underneath it Roof to roof, the local farmer directly involved with it, he came up on the day it was recovered, the Land Rover, to get that out first. And as they lifted the Land Rover up and got it off the other vehicle in the bottom, the Land Rover was hardly twisted. Amazing. It was disfigured a little bit. Pretty amazing. But, but like, almost in fully intact. And the jeep in the bottom was absolutely crushed <laughs> with the weight of this land. Colin tells me this is, a, this is amazing. They lifted it and they got it onto the track and then the workers thought, how are we going to get this down the valley? And they all scratched their heads and then eventually somebody said, why don't we drive it? It's got four tyres on. <laughs> so they did do the thing started and off it went and it came down here and they driving albeit it was driving like that <laughs> limping. but they got it down to the road for a pickup truck there you go that's the story as it's told to me from the local farmer it may have added a couple of little uh, hmm. uh, bits of things and
1: you didn't add anything to it then either, no no, Mar- no 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 well no, done no, to no, Martin no. that was very good We made it to the top, and what a wonderful view back. You can see the wind farm. Is that one at Bothell, do you know? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And beyond that, you're looking into Galloway, and you can see the Galloway Hill's way over there, and just over the shoulder of Binsey, you can just see the top of Criffel at the mouth of the Nith. It's sufficient clarity to see the Cairnsmore of Fleet, I believe. Anyway, that's another world. We're into another world. And the Solway Firth, of course. And the Solway Firth. Talking about other worlds, when you first came up here, what what year was that?
2: This does take some thinking about, but in my case, it must have been the early 80s. Mm. Me and the brother-in-law and my brother got a lovely week in the lakes, being youth hostelers. We wanted to get as many different hostels in as we could, in different parts of the lakes, uh, with a view, obviously, to walking up different fells. So this particular year, we actually managed to get a night booked at um, Carrickfell, and we'd heard about this Skiddo house, which we'd heard had been a youth hostel. So we thought, we've got to go and have a look at that, because we were on our way to Keswick anyway. And I can remember coming up that Caldew Valley from Munger Rysdale. I thought it was it never good rent because we came round a bend at, towards the bottom. Yep. It must be must be three and a half going on four miles. When Skiddo House first comes into view. <laughs> and we never seemed to be getting any closer. It was
3: like
2: a mirage. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> it seemed to take us hours. It was a lovely sunny day, mind. And it was nice and warm, we kept stopping, and in fact, I think, certainly me at least, I know I fell fell fast asleep in this lovely deep heather, like a sprung mattress. And uh, I do remember they had to wake me up and say, well, come on, we'll (laughs) we'll never get there. But, the time it took to get up that valley, and to get to this place, but, but even then it was so magnificent. You could see this place in the distance, this vaguely famous mystery of a place. Is it it open? Isn't it open? And we're getting closer and closer and closer and closer to it. And and you you saw actually the vista that was surrounding it. It automatically blew me over. Never even dreaming, working down a coal mine in Yorkshire, that I'd eventually finish up living there for two nine-year stints. Uh, so, it caught me from the first day. And Marie,
1: when uh, did you come first?
3: My first time here was 2003. I was still living in France. Me and Martin, I was seeing each other. So, I'd come over for my summer holidays with him. He was living in Epping Forest Youth Hostel near London and it took me for a few days' holidays in a lake district of which I'd heard a lot but never set foot Yet, so that was I was a Virgin Lake District visitor. Uh, so I said, while we're here, I'll take you to Skiddo House, which then at that time was closed, uh, no longer a youth hostel for a few years. Uh, I'll take you to the, for the experience of roughing it up up there for a night. So we walked from Bassenthwaite side, and uh, well, all I can remember is this, it's a lovely walk, and it's nice to see where Martin used to live and work for nine seasons. But I, I never imagined I would end up living there either. <laughs> yes.
1: We've reached the top of Dash Falls, Whitewater Dash. You can hear the upper falls. And I think you mentioned earlier, Martin, that when you get a really strong westerly wind, it can pick up the water and bring it, spray it back over here and turn water into what would you describe it? Mist?
2: Mist and uh, similar to steam from a geyser. But a lot colder. Yes. We're we're now suddenly, momentarily,
1: shaded from that blast. And I hope we can continue in that same vein now. Fabulous spot here. We've now reached a point where we can see the snow-laden tops of Skidder and Skidder Little Man and just see Longscale fell and the back of Blencathra and ahead of us, there it is, Skidder House under its trees but it seems as if we've been walking forever and it seems as if we've still got a long way to go it's got that endless distance about it which is something Martin referred to anyway, it was built for hunting of various sorts, and it will have been used for the hunting parties themselves in various ways, would it Martin?
2: Yes, that's right. The local farmers and any other dignitary that was invited and shepherds, that's where they would go. All around the Lake District there are shepherds' meat locations.
1: Presumably Skidder House was one of these.
2: That, that's quite correct, um, which is a reason why there's a lot of circular stone-walled areas that are for gathering their sheep and collecting them and keeping them in a safe place, mm. that might be where they herded the sheep while they, all the shepherds got together and had an overnight whoopee in Skiddo House. Right, I know this. Who knows? No. The name is Sheepfold. Yes. And there's a there's Jackson's Fold. Yes up to the side and behind the valley at the back of Skidder House. In other words, on the slopes of Little Man, uh, there's a lovely sheepfold down the Caldew Valley.
1: That's Wiley Gill.
2: That's right, at Wiley Gill, which somebody was kind enough to show a lot of interest from the national parks paid to have it all renovated and rebuilt and put in a proper good order.
1: Yeah, it's in fine petal now, it's ready for another sheep meat. There is one iconic name associated with shepherding here, somebody who persisted for a very long time
2: and sustained a living, as it were, or worked here with devotion.
1: And who was that?
2: Well, that was Pearson Dalton. Um, His home and his abode and family home was in Colbeck. Mm. Pearson Dalton was very often up here for a number of years... Uh, although he didn't live here permanently. He was up and down the valley, a very fit bloke. He was up and down the Colview Valley on regular occasions, and I believe it was his sister uh, that still lived in Colbeck, and they would provide him with a break from the fowls at weekends, and particularly like in the winter, where he would go and every Sunday have a hot dinner with them. Maybe he would frequent the Oddfellows for a few hours, but I'm told he never failed to get from his sisters back up to Skiddo House where he was on duty on, a, let's say, the Monday morning, because no matter how long he'd been in the Oddfellows, what was in his stomach, whether it was dark, a gale, windy or snowdrifts, there was never any problem getting back to Skidder House because he just followed his sheepdogs.
1: <laughs> and there you are, you had guide dogs. <laughs> wow, well, we've arrived at last, which is... It seemed interminable, <laughs> but it was well worth it. And we're in a wonderful setting in front of the wall, in front of Skidder House, but it gives us a chance to have a perspective on where it is, the actual front of the house, points north, and if I look north, I can see Great Carver, covered in wonderful swathes of heather, and just on the right-hand flank of it, the eastern slope, there's snow. And I look down the valley, and I can see the peak top of Carrick Fell. And you get this very distinct view through the Coldew Valley. So on the left-hand side, as you're looking north-east, heather, and on the right-hand side, We've got Mungrisnel Common, and behind that, Blencathra, and that is so totally different. There's a blade of heather in view, and that, of course, tells you about the grazing patterns. So that was Shepherding Country, pure and simple. And this side, predominantly, it was a sporting area. Grouse and other things, deer. But anyway, it's an opportunity now to reflect back onto Skidder House. I'll start off with Marie, Perhaps you can explain what we're looking at from left to right, from the east to west.
3: Uh, Yes, it's a fairly long building, two-storey building. There's three doorways. One, I've never known it as a functioning door. It's just a doorway that's been blocked with no handle. Uh, That's on the left. The next one, the next doorway used to be the main entrance to the hostel. Uh, On the left-hand side to this doorway is uh, the warden's accommodation, both downstairs and upstairs. And on the right-hand side to this doorway is the the hostel, basically. And the other door, towards the right, is the door to the common room where people uh, cook and eat and sit and socialise. Upstairs are all the hostel's bedrooms or dormitories, four dormitories. And uh, on the roof is uh, four chimney stacks. Only one of them is not in use. Right. So you got
1: fires. What kind of fires are solid, they?
3: well, solid fuel, um, wood and coal. Right.
1: Mm. None of the wood is used from the timber behind mm. the yes. It is, some of it's cut is used from that, is it? Yes, yes. Nice. Uh, there was a time when uh, peat was cut and, and therefore used here, but that's back from the shepherding times. Martin, I'll turn to you. Well, we've been through the, the shepherding years of Pearson Dalton, uh, and of course, times changed. Mountain bosses took it over for a period of time. So then into the scene
2: came another key man, which was John Bothamley. Uh, John Bothamley, he lived way down south, uh, and he was the owner of some kind of builder's company. Also a youth hosteler, and his main interest in this area was Carrick Youth Hostel, which he owned. And John saw this place... And I think he may have thought his original idea was he would run that as a fully-fledged youth hostel and then use this as a secondary satellite extension for those that wanted to really rough it a bit more. Uh, But after 20-something years of inoccupancy and tending towards, well, derelict, dereliction, I say this not in a derogatory sense, but local people from the surrounding areas, villages and towns, got used to coming up here at weekends, let's say to have a rave and do things. Uh, that contributed to its deterioration when Bothamley came along. <coughs> so Bothamley put the money up and the time and the efforts involved and sent some of his men up and recruited any volunteer that passing by that was willing to give them a help mm-hmm. for an hour or two, doing things inside. And he's the one that changed it round into a youth hostel to start with. Right.
1: Without him, it would have be been a wreck and wouldn't be nothing now. Yes, yes.
2: So we have that one particular man. Uh, he wanted it to be rough and basic. Mm-hmm. And no mod cons. Oh. I actually... Moved in here as the warden for the start of 1992 oh, yes. is when I came to actually reside here and live here and operate it as a hostel. Uh, a couple of years before that is when we had the long walk up that valley uh, and found a, a, a nice old fella inside the hostel Uh, Trying to start it up as a youth hostel and uh, trying to get recruits. Any interest in it whatsoever. My brothers and I were stunned to find actually somebody here. Yes. And we'd only been here two or three hours or so and we we got chatting to this old gentleman and we thought how nice it would have been to stay here and this, that and other. And this guy said, well, you can stay here tonight if you want. Unexpectedly to us. Why don't you stay and uh, and while you're here, perhaps you could help me gather some wood from the cops, chop it. Uh, we c- you can get the fire lit, or you can have a nice uh, fire. And uh, there's some bunk beds upstairs and you can find a blanket, whatever there is, still around. And then, just to bribe us a bit, I do remember he boiled us three up with a, a big bowl of rice pudding with some custard on top. Novel, I call that novel. That was a bribe for securing our interest. (laughs) Once he knew that we were a bit susceptible and once that we had offered to do the wood and we were dragging trees and all sorts of things, late afternoon, approaching tea time, this guy came in and he was dressed up, ready to go. (laughs) His hat on, stick in his hand. He says, oh, Martin, he said, you said you liked it here and you'd like to stay the night, didn't you? I said, well, yeah. Next minute, across the common room, in the air was a big bunch of keys thrown at me, uh, which I duly caught. And he said, uh, you're the warden. He says, I'm going home. I've got to get back to Kendall or somewhere. (laughs) Uh, He says, until the next voluntary warden arrives. I didn't really know then, at that time, whether he'd got another voluntary warden (laughs) or not. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my and our... My brother and brother down. That That was our first night or two here, Mm. of which it left us a little list of jobs to do. Ah, good man. Uh, Scrape the whitewash off the wall in the back toilet, sweep the pine needles up from the bunk beds upstairs, (laughs) because it wasn't such a good roof then. (laughs) You could lay in bed at night, and as you were laid up, you could see stars, and you could see the little stars glimmering through the gap between the slates. Henceforth, during the night or a windy night, with the place being full of uh, pine trees, the wind consequently blew all the pine needles through the gaps in the slates, and uh, they landed on everybody, <laughs> everybody's bunk beds upstairs. There you are. That's proof of the leakage. So I, I actually had that to sweep up every morning. There you are. And then in the, let's say, not not entirely winter because the place was closed for winter after the summer season but you still get bits of winter like at the end of October. After Bothamley's improvements for whatever reason it just didn't get the place finished off enough to have put some cement over the top of the window frames. So everybody knew, consequently, that stayed at Skidder House in the first year or two, that you'd have such a cold night in those bedrooms. You need as many blankets as you could get. So, when it did snow, there was me quickly getting all all the snow off the, the duvets on the bunks. Because oh, yes. if Authentic. there were people in that night, that <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> 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 so you've
1: you've had your period first stint here, Martin. Now, Marie, you came here with Martin in 2006, and you had some pretty of winters
3: yourself. Yes, out of about five full winters we lived there because we, it was our only home. There's at least three that, was, that were really, really bad. The worst one was the winter of 09-10 uh, when the snow started falling just before Christmas, I think, and every day it was higher and higher on the ground. And the snow wasn't melting, but I was having a meltdown, what they call cabin fever, and I was having visions of a time when we would not be able to go out through the front door, let alone go to the woodshed to fetch some wood to put in the wood stove. <laughs> so we I called for help. Our friends in the nearest farm near Basinthwaite, have you got a bed for us, I would like to come and stay with you because obviously we couldn't move the car. I didn't know at the time it would last for weeks, late February until we were able to drive the car out I think. So yeah, we had to escape as climate refugees <laughs> and half of the way between a Skiddo House and the farm down at the bottom, which was about four miles, we were knee-deep or thigh-deep in snow. It took us three hours to walk these four miles.
1: <laughs> On a really stormy night, Martin, it must be... There must be a sort of sensation that when
2: you're in there. Knowing that we're at almost 1,500 metres and knowing that a storm's due or it's arrived and living in this location, we certainly knew about it inside because we could hear it going on all around us, mm. to such an extent that after a gust had blown up Nova Skidda, I dropped over this side of the valley and hit the place where the hostel is, mm. you could physically feel bang on the roof. Crikey. And the slates would rattle. It's alarming. Yes. Uh, it is alarming. I've been here on my own... Uh, when that's happened and and actually on one occasion the wind was so fierce and the noise was so loud and deafening from the slates lifting and then being blown back that I actually dropped the broom and run off and I ran from that end of the building to this (laughs) to where I thought it was safer where there was a ceiling above my head (laughs) but going back to your original question there's two feelings, that's one extent of fear because, hmm, is the building still going to be here? Because it's that loud and violent. Uh, But yet, on the other hand, there was nights, and Marie has obviously experienced this also, when the stoves are lit, uh, you getting some nice warmth from your wood-burning stove and the doors are closed, and you know it's winter. We've got the radio on, so you're still in touch with the world. You know what's going off outside. That's a nice, cosy feeling. Mm. To know that you've got two and a half feet thick walls of stone around you, it's nice and warm and you're sitting there by a candle lit and a nice bottle of red wine.
1: This is a a convivial place as you suggested with that sitting around by the fire and I suppose, Marie, the kind of people who came here must have been warmed by the place and created a sense of being together in a
3: happy place and you'll have made friends? Yeah, we, over the years we've made a few friends. People who come for the first time and they come over every year or every two years and we keep in touch in between. We, have, we had one friend uh, based in Texas. He came for the first time only two nights and he said to us, I'll be back in two years. And yes, he was back regularly <laughs> with his missus or without her and touring the lakes and always stopping at Skiddo House.
2: The welcome uh, that they got, I think, was well appreciated by people. Mm. Well I know it was because they used to tell us. Mm. You could tell that, let's say, the uh, particularly non-outdoor types Mm. that who decided to go youth hostel in and perhaps uh, didn't really realise the location of the place, were so grateful to find a building in the middle of the nowhere (laughs) they were so glad to see it, almost burst into the front door and almost hugged us for being here because they used to say to us, actually, well, we thought, where, where is he? We're never going to get there. We're in the wrong place. Because it's so isolated, they've not actually done the homework from the YHA guy that probably as much as they should have done. And a lot of people have pretty poor on maps as well. Uh, that's correct, and maps, yes. And those that just relied on, uh, eventually, the gadgets... No compass, no map. Turning up in the darkness of night, sometimes very late, because they've driven from London yes. <laughs> to come up to stay at Skidder House because they saw a picture of it and thought how nice it would be. And uh, they've been very, very grateful yes. to get in, get their boots off, take their wet clothes off if it, and get in front of that lovely fire, that lovely stove. Homely. And get sat down, and uh, a blanket if they required it. Uh, And I've even given some of them hot water bottles straight away for the feet. (laughs) There's a nice tray there. There's a big pot of tea. There's a mug for you each. And there's a few biscuits. Just sit there. Just relax. You're here. You're safe. You've managed it. You've got here. We'll sort the rest out later when you recover a bit. And... very homely, very comforting. They're, they're, yeah, their gratitude
3: never forgotten. Many people, when they le- left in the morning, they, all of them said, "Oh, we'll be back, we'll be back," because they were so enthused with the Skidder House spirit. So, what would you say the Skidder House spirit might be? The community spirit of uh, being sat together in in a, such a special building in in the middle of a special place, and uh, connecting with people, talking of putting the world to right, because the fact that there is no mobile phone signal and no Wi-Fi means people actually talk to each other rather than uh, getting stuck on there. Yeah, and and we've actually had uh, the remarks made a few times, either verbally or on, um, what's his name, TripAdvisor. One man said to us before leaving, whatever you do, never get (laughs) Wi-Fi.
2: So you've got that
1: sensation as well, Martin, of the conviviality of the place. You
2: can only give a good welcome once to a person. So really, you try and get it right. We've always tried to be as welcoming and as accommodating as we could possibly be. And just to let people understand that once you walk through the door here, you're at home, you know. There's no mod cons, but there's just good hot tea, conversation, a warm fire and a clean bed. You're among other people. We're all in the same boat. Mm, absolutely. And we're all doing without electricity. 24-volt lighting, battery lighting, not a problem with that. You could read and you yeah. can play cards with it. And sometimes, yes, people preferred me quite often, actually. People would say eventually, Martin... Do you mind if we turn the lights off? It should be much better by candlelight. Oh. So the
1: time came when you felt the need for a transition
2: in your life. What was spurred you at the time? What spurred me at the time? Um, I, I would say, first of all, my age. Approaching uh, retirement. Uh, and uh, imagining myself, let's say, over 65. Uh, and still carrying wood in. And who wants to come up from any city in any place, London or whatever, and see a 70-year-old bloke sitting there? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I didn't sort of picture myself in that environment. But more importantly is a successor. There was no way I was going to leave, or we were going to leave, lock the door and say, that's it then. And the hostel's finished. No. We already knew a younger couple who'd shown a lot of interest in the place and we already knew that he was a lover of the outdoors and we already knew uh, that he worked for the YHA, he'd got experience.
1: So, saying goodbye, uh, Marie, how did you sort of mostly take that on?
3: Um Although I I enjoyed living uh, at the hostel, I always knew I wasn't going to be there uh, until I died, obviously, and uh, I thought the time was right, and especially when we knew we we were going to pass the business to this young couple. So I felt reassured that uh (sighs) our baby was in right hands. (laughs) You don't want to shoot. No,
1: no, that that was a very poignant moment. Yeah, I understood. Did you have a feeling of loss, Martin?
2: Uh, Most definitely. Still do. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think the, uh, the final shock of leaving, I think because it had been going through our minds and knowing about it and having met the new prospective people and knowing that uh, there were similar people to us on the way the lines that they were, the hostel would carry on running. Emotionally, I could drift into that leaving knowing full well that at that time we thought, well, we've done the best we can We're leaving this in good hands. We're leaving this to people like us, Mm -hmm. that like youth hustling, that like people, and that like the fells. And that was the best we could do. So it wasn't a clean break shock. No. So I think that eased it for me.
1: Feudal House will forever be a part of your life, though, the pair of you. It's, um, it's a sanctuary that I can tell has meant a lot to you. So we'll, we'll move on back towards the, the footbridge.
2: Well, it is, it is nice to have the opportunity a sharing to be people. invited along like you two. To come back and see the place, We we appreciate.
1: It's been absolutely marvellous to be with you. I really am honoured to have spent my time with you today.
0: journey's end we're back in the dash valley looking up at dash falls it's dusk mark we've got a few little twinkling lights there on the hillside uh, distant farms a lovely wander as ever with these real life country strides it seems to take all day
1: oh it somehow does and our guests have been such wonderful convivial companions they've taken us to an enigmatic place Mm.
0: It just is, isn't it? Out of all the boffies, you've got Black Sail as well, haven't you? Places like this that are very evocative. For me, Skiddaw House is the absolute supreme winner of that isolated Bothy award. Yeah, absolutely. You're right at the centre of nowhere there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, obviously meant a huge amount to them.
1: And I did say middle of nowhere. Actually, it's middle of somewhere. Very special. The northern fells are such an endearing area you know carrick fell bowscale fell you name them they've all got
0: their own qualities they're really worth going up bowscale tarn that became my lockdown swimming location quick wander up there and, and it's got its own kind of fan club a swimming club that goes up there anyway we should mention the book this is john martin's book john put us in touch very kindly with martin and marie um john if you're listening thanks very much John's book is The Loneliest House in England, Skittle House. Uh, Really concise but well researched history, isn't it, Mark? And um, I know both of us read that book ahead of today's talk.
1: Yeah, it gives you a cross section of its uh, origins and how people have used it and loved it.
0: Some housekeeping before we go. You can find all 50 previous podcasts at www.countrystride.co.uk. We are on Facebook and Twitter, Mark. At Country Stride 1. Please do get in contact with us. You can do that, again, via the website. Use the Contact Us form there. If you like what we do, please just rate us on your podcast provider. Give us a five-star rating. We really appreciate that. That's it from us today. It is now raining relatively heavily, and it is almost dark. So I think that suggests, for me, it's time for home. For one moment, it looked like both of our car batteries had gone flat. (laughs) fortunately yes. that turned out not to be the case so we're gonna head for home with happy memories fond memories of being out in the back of Skidmore.
1: thank you all for listening Um, we've gone through the shepherding years, and of course Milligan Dalton was quite a significant man. Um, no wrong Dalton, isn't it? Yeah, wrong, wrong. Oh, who's Pearson. Dalton? Pearson. He was. He wasn't very important, man. <laughs> 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 well, 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 we've been through the the shepherding years of Pearson Dalton.